we have been talking about the place of next. And uh, this is probably the fifth in that series. I never intended it to go like that, but I'm also one that just allows it to keep flowing. And in the place of next, we've dealt with a lot of things. And it started off as we came out of our 100 days of prayer into New Year's Eve, and the Lord announced after that prayer, he said there would be a breaking and there would be a breakthrough. And from that breaking and that breakthrough, as we began the 21-day fast, the Lord showed me uh, a dream that was also a vision, one of those where you're asleep, but you're not asleep. And what I saw was uh, myself and people walking on a very, uh, like a nature trail, except it was a wide open road. And in that path, we saw natural things, trees and little buildings that were built out of, out and hand hewn out of wood that a, that a craftsman would do. Not something that was, was more with human hands, but something that was done out of nature. And as we were going, I noticed to the right of me a corral and it had wood post fencing that went all the way through it like you would see in a beautiful country place, natural again. And I noticed it, it became peculiar to me. I didn't see any animals in the corral. And I was wondering why was there a corral with no animals in it? And it went along a long way. And then I began to see that there were supplies in this area, in this field, in this meadow, in this pasture, and the supplies were stacked very well, very perfectly, as if they were measured out for specific purposes, and my building instincts kicked in, and I saw that they were being staged to be used for something, and they were massive, and there was a lot of them, and then all of a sudden, as we were all walking, I looked to the left, and there was this massive natural building. I said, wow, that's a beautiful building. I wish I had that. And it was, again, very natural. It just bled into the forest and into the nature and into creation. And on the side of it was written four letters, N-E-X-T. It said, next. And I said, Lord, what is that? And he said, you're arriving at the place of next. And I began to, to wonder why, why he's showing me that. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said that I've already given all of the provision. You see it to the side. It's been stored up from the beginning of time for you, for your entourage, for those that you're walking together with for the place of next. So I want to encourage you that you're arriving at your place of next. And sometimes it's uncomfortable when you come from the place of from. So we're gonna talk about the place of from and the place of next, but I've got good news for you. There's a divine intersection of the two. And when the two intersect, then that means that God is ready to, to move you into your new thing. And I want you to be excited about that. Now, it also means this. It also means that from the place of from, there's some good things that we keep and take with us, and there's other things that we let go. And I wanna deal with that somewhat today as we deal with two sub-themes. One is blessings, and the other one is gates. And I wanna talk with you about those for a moment. Um, possessing the gates of your enemies in the place. I wanna start first and foremost with a little understanding about a certain place. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 11, 
and it was a certain place. We were talking about it during our worship, a place where Abraham had established a machwam. A machwam, by the way, it's, it's almost spelled and pronounced the same way in, in uh, Hebraic and in Arabic, a machwam. A machwam was a place where he established an altar for sacrificing. Now, we don't sacrifice animals, but we do sacrifice worship. We do sacrifice the word of God. We do sacrifice coming together in fellowship. And your machwam can be anywhere. It can be in your closet, it can be in your car. Wherever you establish the word and the name of God in your prayer and your praise, he promises you a machwam, that he will inhabit the praises of his people. And the place where you pronounce his name, he says, in that place I will make myself present. So it was a machwam. It was a machwam that Abraham had established many years before, uh, uh, two generations before. This was his grandson. Jacob, and Jacob, not really understanding that this was the machwam of his father at first, he was fleeing, he was afraid. He thought his brother whom he had deceived his birthright from was going to overtake him and hurt him, and and so he finally surrendered. Think about that word for a moment. Finally surrendered from the place of from. And he said, you know what, I'm tired of running. I don't know what's ahead of me. I'm afraid. I'm confused. I know I did wrong, but I did right because my mother, he was so wondering what is next. And you know, when we're caught up in deception, we know, don't we? We know when something isn't quite right. We know when we're telling ourselves something that we shouldn't be telling ourselves or trying to believe something we shouldn't be believing and and we're a little bit out of sync. Uh, He was at that point. Jacob got to that point where he was a lot out of sync, spiritually, emotionally. And so he made this place and at this machwam, and he found a rock and he put the rock down and he laid his head on a rock. Now that rock was also a rock that was part of the altar and the pillar that Abraham had established because the way it was done in that day is if there was a place where you had something that happened in occurrence with God, they would get rocks and they would build an altar. How many of you know that the altars up until there was a temple were very crude things? They were made out of rocks and and what you had that was available to you and and trunks and things. They built it as an altar unto God. It wasn't this beautiful temple or as we would say, even beautiful churches as of today. I know this because I built one of those on a farm. And and, and, And I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit, but I was being led to build an altar that I could try to find God with in a place. I established a machwam on a farm in Hubbard as a Jew that didn't know Jesus. And so I can relate to what was happening. And and Jacob got this rock and he placed it down. No expectation, he was going to sleep. He was going to sleep to find out what happened in the morning. When he met his brother, would he kill him? Would he destroy him? What would he have to do? Run some more, hide, beat feet, get farther away? What would he do? Nowhere to go to, nowhere to go from. Lost in the middle in a desert place. And he lays the rock down and he lays down upon it. He puts his head upon the maquam. He puts his head upon the altar of God. Now, fast forward, Jesus is the rock. He put his head on the Messiah. He put his head on a prophetic calling that was given to his father and he didn't understand it. But in so doing, he realized that he was going to get a rest with his head on a rock. 
How many of you, you know, at night, I know I do, I put a pillow or two back and I get my neck up and I sort of go out like that sometimes and, and I like it. That's what he was doing, a rock. But something happened. He had this vision and this dream and the gates of heaven opened up and angels were going up and forth in ladders and finally he cried out and he said, surely, surely, in, in Genesis chapter 21, verse 11, it says, he came to a certain place. He came to the place of next, and he spent the night there, and because the sun had set, he took one of the stones of that place, of that maquam, and he put it under his head, and he laid down, and then he had this dream, and behold, a ladder was on the earth, and reaching to the heavens, and the angels of Elohim were ascending and descending on it. And above it stood God himself, the Lord God himself. And he said, I am the Lord, the Elohim of your father Abraham and the Lord of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. And your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall. And he goes on, a blessing. It was a certain place. Now he was on his way to his padamaran. He was on his way to find his destiny. That's what his padamaran was. Now we go backwards to where we've been studying in Genesis 24 about Abraham and how he sent Eliezer, his servant out, to go find the matriarch for his son Isaac. Sarah had just died. And how was there going to be a promise to the seed of Abraham if there was no woman for the seed? So it was time for Isaac to have a bride and a wife. And he sent Eliezer to where his family came from, back to the Padamaran, the place of from, but the place where from intersected with the place of next. And in that place, Eliezer saw Rebecca. And Rebecca was put to the camel test. Remember, we talked about it. And she, and she came out, and not only did she give him a drink from the well, but she also served his Campbells. And in that sense, he saw that this was a woman of tremendous chesed, grace, abundant grace. This fit the family dynamic because Abraham was a man of abundant grace. And he said, this truly could be the matriarch that my, my, my master sent me out to find for the promise of the seed for Isaac. And she agreed immediately to come. Now, there's always a test when we move in to the place of next. Do you remember, if you got your e-blast, I'm going to go over it with you a moment. This is what I wrote to you. And it said that Abraham did not withhold his son. His only son Isaac from the altar in obedience to God, he passed the test. Included in this human race changing brachot, that means blessing in Hebrew, a brachat. It says, it's spoken by God was this de declaration. The Lord said to a Abraham, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Hmm, your descendants. Are you a descendant of Abraham? Is the Abrahamic covenant a blessing to you? Does that mean that all the promises that God gave forth through Abraham are yours and amen? You shall possess the gates of your enemies. Now, how many of you say, well, I don't really want to hate anybody because I love Jesus, but, but pastor, if you and I were sitting alone and having a cup of coffee, I'd be honest with you, I got a few enemies. Huh? 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 
I'm the only one? Okay, the rest of you all perfect, I understand. You know, maybe I need to get on the sofa and you counsel me a while and help me to, 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 to have a different oversight. You possess the gates of your enemies. How many of you know who the enemy of your soul is? He's your enemy. How many of you want to possess that gate? How many of you know that your flesh is an enemy to your spirit? How many of you want to possess that gate? And how many of you know that there are systems and forces and people in the world that are enemies of your walk with God? How many of you say, I want to possess that gate? You have a promise to possess the gate of your enemies. Well, it didn't end there. A few years later, upon the passing of Abraham's wife, Sarah, and she was the matriarch of the promises to the seed, to the seed blessed in this covenant, divine destiny prevailed at the place of from where Rebekah was discovered to become Isaac's wife. And there was a new matriarch of the promises. Now, there's something about our spirit. Your spirit has been created to be able to give birth and multiply. I'm not talking just the physical realm. And men, you need to understand this. That's why we're called the bride of Christ. You men need to understand you're part of the bride of Christ. It has nothing to do with, 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 with your, your uh, uh, genes. It has to do with the spirit of God. It's not your gender. You're the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are made to birth. We are made to birth the church through Christ. Christ was the seed that birthed the church. We're the ones that grow the church. We multiply. Let every kind bring forth its own kind as a spiritual law from Genesis. It's one of the first spiritual laws we received. Everything he created, he said, let it bring forth its own kind and multiply. So you are the kind of new creation. You are the kind of the spirit of God. You are the kind of the spirit of Christ. And inside of you, is an inherent gift of God to multiply and birth and give growth in the things of God. Well, guess what? You have that seed inside of you to give fruit. And the fruit isn't only to multiply others of your own kind, it's to multiply the kind of God in you. And so that's how we go through this walk. And Paul said, I've not yet perfected, I'm not, I haven't yet caught. I haven't apprehended that which I'm striving for, but I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to race for it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to go after everything that God has for me. Now, if you had to do that, and if I had to do that in our own energy, in our own labor, in our own works, we would never get there. We'd get exhausted. we give up. We would fail because we can never do enough. We can never get enough. We can never be enough to get to that place. But here's the good news. What's inside of you and inside of me is the spirit of Christ. And that spirit cries out and says, you are forgiven. You are a child of God. You're an heir and a parent with everything that God has. Not only do you receive the promises of the Abrahamic covenant and every covenant since then, but you have the blood of the new covenant. And because of that blood of the new covenant, you are everything in Christ that you need to be. So what happens when the place of from intersects with the place of next? The things that are already inside of us begin to activate. They begin to percolate. They come alive. They get excited. And we all of a sudden get a different vision, a different mindset, and a better expectation. So we have to realize that. Now, there was a test. There was a test for Abraham. Take Isaac 
And notice the Lord told him, you're only son. He was letting him know that even though Ishmael had come from the bondservant, she wasn't an heir of the covenant. Isaac was the heir of the covenant. Take Isaac, your only son, and go to Mount Moriah and build a maquam, an altar, and sacrifice him to me. Wow, that one got me in trouble. That one got me in trouble because as I was reading and interpolating and understanding the things of God, and as I began to tell the rabbi and the people as a non-Jewish believer that God was speaking to me, they thought I was crazy. I probably was, but the, the truth of the matter was God was moving on me and I was just being honest because I was so excited that God was talking to me and the things he was telling me were coming true. And the things that he was showing me, I was seeing, and the things were coming alive. And I just had to share it. I didn't have discretion. I wish I had. It would have saved me a big headache. But so, so they, my family went to a judge, not my personal family. At that time, it was, it was my, who's now my ex-wife for 40 years. And they went, and, and they got a, a, an order from the judge that said I wasn't allowed to see my daughter, Carissa who was at that time less than two years old, because what if God told me to sacrifice my child like he told Abraham? And I said, are you crazy? He wouldn't do that, I would never do that. And so here I am pursuing God, and at the Maquam, I end up getting my hands chained and understanding. So you can imagine, I just get a glimpse of what was in Abraham, taking the promise of Isaac, but he believed God and he went because it was the test. It was the test at the place of from. And he was going to the place of next. And that place of next was that altar on Mount Moriah. And Isaac cries out to his father. He says, Father, I have the wood. This is the altar. You have the fire. But where's the sacrifice? And the Lord speaks through Abraham. And he prophetically says, Son, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. He really wanted to believe it. But I think he was also wanting to just keep his son calm. And it tells us in John 8 that just as he took the knife up, he saw the day of Christ. And you could see the heavens open up and the vision come at that maquam, the place of next. And he all of a sudden saw the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the Lord supplied the Lamb of God and let him understand it wasn't Isaac. This was his seed that was going to be the lamb. And then in the thicket, there was a rustling with a ram. And he sacrificed that ram to the Lord. He passed the test. Well, now we go forward and we come to the matriarch. The new matriarch, Sarah's gone. Someone has to fill in the fruit. Someone has to become the bowels to multiply for the seed that was promised, the descendants that was promised. The word is zera in, in Hebrew, Z-E-R-A. Zera, it, it, it's singular. And so when it says descendants, it's really singular. And it comports with Hebrews in seven and eight where it says that the seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. And so I look at it this way. It's like a big pomegranate and it grew and it has so many seeds inside of it, but it grew from one seed. We have grown from that pomegranate of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the pomegranate is something that's used quite often during Sukkot for the, for the Feast of Tabernacles where you celebrate the fruits and the intaking of the fruits. That's why the pomegranate, because it multiplies so many seeds and they happen to be blood colored, don't they? blood colored. 
Every time I open those pomegranates, I just thank the Lord, and I love pomegranates. I don't like doing the work to get all the seeds out, but I love to eat those seeds. And so, and by the way, how many of you know that if you get pomegranate juice on you, it stains? The blood stains. You are blood washed. And so, Rebecca is there, and Eliezer sees her, and he knows this is the one, and he tells her brother, Laban, who, a bit of a character, you know, the offspring weren't quite the same, but he tells her brother, who tells her mother, who tells the father, that he's come to take her as a wife for Isaac. And now this was in Nahor. Nahor was the place of Abraham's father, and so this was his nephew, and this was his niece. And he said, I must marry into our own because if not, we will destroy this covenant because the Lord said, not the bondservant, but the Lord said it must be the pure blood of the covenant. And so they went and they found her. Now she had a question. Interesting. Eliezer made a comment. He said, you know, the Lord answered what my master wanted. He answered my own prayer. He says, in fact, he answered it before the words came out of my mouth. I was about to say, Lord, would you show me who this woman is? And before the words came out, she showed up at the well. And then she, she had the pitcher of water. And then I said, if she has grace, she's the right one. And, and then she fed my camels, this princess of Nahor. Before I said my words, you answered it all. So he's excited. He wants to get back and show that he accomplished what he was sent to do. And so they want him to stay. And they said, well, she can go with you, but we want her to stay 10 days, a test. Stay in the place you're supposed to leave from a little too long, and it does not age white wine. It begins to smell like fish. She could have stayed. She would have not passed the test. Her family said, stay. Eliezer said, no, we must go because God has prospered my way. And in that prosperity, that point of abundance and prosperity, I need to move. In him we live and move and have our being, as Paul said in Acts 17. But the family says, well, we'll ask her. Believing she would want to say goodbye to them. She's their young daughter. She's beautiful. She's been raised. But how many of you know sometimes you just got to go, Right? So they asked her, and she said, I'll go with him tomorrow. They said, what? Yes, I will go with him tomorrow. God will prosper our way. And so off she goes. Well, they're getting ready to go. And what do you think they pray over here? This is what they do. They say, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your zira, your descendants, your seed, Possess the gates of those who hate them. Possess the gates. Abraham, your seed shall possess the gates. The matriarch dies, Sarah. The Lord provides the new matriarch, Rebekah, from whom comes the fruit of the covenant, even Jesus Christ. But the one thing they establish besides the fact that through them you will all be blessed is that you shall possess the gates of your enemies. How important is that to the Lord in the covenant? Pretty important. Now, what did Jesus Christ say? And what does it tell us in Revelation? That the gates of hell shall not prevail. 
Jesus not only descended into hell to lay our sins at charge, but he grabbed the keys to hell and he brought them forth. Now, we know that he said he gave the keys to Peter, but Peter at that point was the vision for the church. You are the church. I am the church. Peter himself, you know, St. Peter at the heavenly gate with the keys, we've all heard that, and there's a lot of jokes that go about it. You can believe that if you want. I know who's got the keys to heaven and to hell. It's Jesus Christ. And I know that he's given us the authority of dominion over those gates, even the gate of hell. Now, when we do deliverance, and some of you have been through some tough deliverances that God has called me in with you, I tell the demons quickly, I tell the principalities and powers, you got two choices, you let go and get out of here and you don't come back and I'm binding you out and you can go jump on a pig somewhere over in Syria if you'd like, but you've got no business over here and if you do come back, I'm gonna bind you in to hell. I'm gonna open the gate, I'm gonna put you in there and I'm gonna command that your father the devil torment you because I have that authority. You see, I believe we have the authority over the gates of hell. Not only do I believe it, I activate it and practice it. And sometimes I forget. Sometimes I get caught up in stuff and I'm just bouncing around and I'm wondering what's going on and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm not sleeping well and I'm having chaos and I'm counting the problems instead of the blessings. And I say, wait a minute, who's got the gate? Who's got the gate? We can surrender our dominion to whatever lie we believe but we can take it back. That's the good news. Have, has anybody ever surrendered dominion to a gate? I know I'm probably the only one again, but that's okay. Yes, but I'll tell you what, I'm in the business of taking it back. I am committed to taking it back. And so there's a test. Lesson number one today, there's a test that comes when we come from the place of from to the place of next. The test is never the same test for everybody, it's different. It's a test of what matters to you or what you think matters to you or what you want to hold on to and what you maybe believe is more yours than his. Sometimes it's our reputation. Sometimes it's our job. Sometimes it's our health. It's anything that we think is ours. Abraham took great pride in Isaac, his son. He marched that son around and everything that he did. Everybody knew he was the heir apparent. Abraham was a very skilled businessman, very wealthy. He was blessed in so many things, in so many ways. He had the biggest farm. He had the biggest manufacturing plant doing gold and silver. He had thousands of people working for him. He was a warrior. He was fierce. He would go and win battles with people that hadn't even been tried and tested as soldiers. He was amazing. And everything he was doing, he had his arm around Isaac. Isaac was his until the Lord said, give him back to me. He tested him at what he thought was his. How many of you say, I'm going through a test of what I think is mine? I am. I got both of my hands up. I'm going through a test of what I think is mine. And I have to keep saying, Lord, it's yours. Lord, it's yours. Don't let me take it back. Lord, it's yours. And I tell him, I told him this morning in there, I said, Lord, I'm not too good with this. I said, I keep taking this back. And, 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 I, and I felt the warmth of the smile of God like saying, yeah, I know. And I said, thank you. Thank you that I can talk to you openly and honestly. You know, I could say, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that I don't have any things, and this is so good, Father. And, and you know my heart, but I'm really not like that. Huh? 
You think I'm impressing God? I think he's more impressed when I say, God, I got a problem with this. I need some help. I'm, I'm, I got it, but I don't have it. Come on. I've got it, but I don't have it. I'm at the place of next, and I'm holding on to the place of from, and ah. And the Lord says, it's a test. So then you say, well, how do I know how to pass the test? You know what you do? You go to this. The Word of God. And you find that anecdote that spiritual pill that works for your situation in here, I assure you it's here. Because I've had a bunch of them and I found every one of them in here. And right when I didn't think that I needed to look anymore because I knew so much, I realized I need to dig and go find it. The Psalms, the Proverbs, the words of Jesus. How many of you have a Bible that has his words in red? I know what Jim Baker told me when he went to jail. He threw away all the other Bibles and they finally gave him one and he ripped out all the pages except the ones that had the words of Jesus in red because he'd let too much garbage and junk come into him. And he said, when I just word, just meditated on those words of Jesus in red for one year, my system got purged and cleansed. Here's the answer for the test right here. And you know, when all else fails... Love, love. Go to John and read about love. Now, don't do what I did. I got saved, and I did a month on Job. (laughs) Nobody was teaching me. I finally made my way to John. I said, I like this one better. This is a much better version than Job. Go to the love and the grace and let it soak in. The place and the test that you're in won't last for long. And you know what I've learned in my life? The faster I surrender and let it go, the faster it's gone. The more I hold on and try to fix it, it just lingers and it begins to smell like fish and not age like wine. So there's a place where the next and the from intersect. And at that place, there's a divine outpouring. And something's about to happen. There's a matriarch relationship. Something's about to give birth. And the fruit's about to grow and harvest. And the seeds are being planted. Now, we have challenges. It's called maturity in God. I know, I know. I know when I look in the mirror, I don't feel as young. I don't look as young as I feel. I feel young. And I know when I see people that are much younger than me, I want to relate to them. And and I think it's good. And I try to do some things, and they look at me like I'm crazy. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a clue what I'm saying, you know. And, And I try to use some words that don't fit. And then I use some from when it was cool for me. And they look at me like, where'd this guy come from, man? Who's this dude? Right? So I understand that. But maturity takes a long way and a long time. And when God is percolating something new and giving it alive, we need to let go and let God do it. We need not, tr- not to try to, to accelerate it. He'll accelerate it. Unfortunately, when we accelerate it, we get off track. We make things happen we shouldn't be make happening, and we try to do it in the flesh, and then we realize that really wasn't God, and then it takes some time to undo it, 
And at the very least, you're embarrassed. Right? I've been embarrassed many times when I've tried to make something happen. And then I've realized, oh boy, I'd have been better to just shut my mouth and watch God do something. So at the place of next, it was time. Notice Rebecca and Eliezer said, we need to go. But when they went, they still went with the humility. First of all, Isaac had to look upon Rebecca and say, yes, this is the one that the Lord has sent. And then they needed Abraham's blessing. And then you had what would have been the ritual of, of the engagement and everything else that went on and then the procession and everything that went to instill her as the matriarch, the new matriarch. And then she went through other tests, as many of you know, both she and Isaac. So in the sense of the next, we need to allow God to make it happen. And we need to let go of those things that are familiar in the from that would hold us back. Possessing the gates. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. And just a minute, because I'm just about out of time. I'm just going to give you an introduction again to the gates. Now, in ancient times, the gates were meant to have control over a city. They were meant, they were oftentimes built with very strong timber that was encased with brass. So they were supposed to be as nearly indestructible as you could be. And the gates of that city was the only entrance. There was no back entrance. There was no other way in because that was the security, the protection, and the control. And they would sit in the gates. Who would sit in the gates? The ones that were given authority. And they would sit in the gates and they did many things. One is they controlled the military. What came in, what went out, the security. The next thing they did was they controlled the economy. What came in and what was sent out. And if somebody was bringing something in, they were making sure that whomever was supposed to get their share got their share. And if something was going out, they were making sure that it wasn't going out to the wrong place. The economy of it, the control, the trade. And the other thing was, it was social. It was a place where rumors would abound. It was the place where gossip would abound. It was the place where testimonies would abound. It was the place where there would be a word of the Lord that was released. Many times the Lord sent his prophets to the gates to release a word. It was a place where culture was cultivated. What was allowed in and wasn't allowed in. The lepers couldn't come in. They couldn't come in. People that were perverse sexually couldn't come in. They were kept out if the gates were clean. And so the gates also happened to be the place where, 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 the, where the sovereign king would put his best people, or in this instance, where God would put his prophet. Remember Fat Ellie, we talked about him? How he, he you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen and he found and his two sons were killed. He didn't die, he didn't panic when his two sons were killed, but when he found out the Ark was gone, he fell off his perch and died right at the gates. And then Samuel stood up into that place at the gates. So those gates, in a physical sense, they're, they're very strategic, but we have spiritual gates. 
And those spiritual gates is everything that God has given us and everything that flows to us, and they too need to be kept pure, and we need to be guardians and watchmen of our gates because we've been given dominion over them. And we have physical gates, what we smell, what we taste, what we see, what we hear, what we feel. It's called senses. And those gates impact what happens to our spirit. That's why many times people are struggling with with sexual problems because it's what they're allowing in their gate. They love God, but they're just letting garbage into their gate. Or that's why they struggle with addictions and situations because stuff's going in to the gate. And that's why there are issues that happen that, that contaminate the spirit because of what's coming through the physical gates. All the gates connect physical, spiritual, mental. And so what we want to learn, and we shall learn, and we shall become very good at it, is how to control the gates. Knowing this today, you have received the declaration and the mandate of the Lord that you shall have dominion over the gate of your enemies. You have it. Now we want to exercise it and we want to take it. I want to speed that up a moment. It comes with a blessing. We'll go back into this blessing a little bit next week if the Lord allows us to do. And that blessing in the Hebrew is a word that means brachot. Brachot or berachot. Interestingly enough, so you understand that your ancestors, your Judaic ancestors, they would say a brachot over everything that they were grateful to God for. They'd wake up in the morning and they'd say, blessed, brachot, be the Lord God Almighty for the breath in my lungs. Oh, thank you, Lord, for this coffee that I'm drinking. Thank you, Lord. And if you didn't give the Lord a brachat, now we understand that that's, that's being legalistic, then they felt that you weren't worthy of the blessing that you were giving. That's the way they worked it. However, to have a grateful heart, one that walks in the blessings of God and is grateful for it, is a way to possess the gates of your enemy because you exchange blessing for cursing, because you exchange love for hate, because you exchange forgiveness for persecution. It's a brachat. We'll deal with that some more. I'm just tuning you up so that you can begin to fine tune your expectation and where God's gonna take us. Closing with this. We're at the place of next. I absolutely believe that. And I look out amongst you and I, and, I, and I can see even in the spirit to some of you who are on or gonna be on, you're at the place of next. I'm at the place of next. We have tests. Each of us has a test. We need strength to pass the test. We need understanding to pass the test. We go to the word of God. And if you need some help, you go to somebody who's grounded in the word of God and spiritually strong and you be honest and you say, you know what, would you help me? I need some help at my test. I need to understand it better. Would you help me? And I feel the Holy Spirit giving me this right now for you. Hmm. What happens if something you did or didn't do has put you in a place of a consequence that you would say, I deserve 
punishment. I deserve what's happened. How many of you have ever been there or are there? Every hand is up. I've got good news for you. You don't deserve it. Listen to me. You don't deserve it. Because Jesus Christ says he's given you the dominion of the gates of your enemy. Christ told Peter, Peter, <laughs> he wasn't there for Jesus at Jesus' most needy moment. He cursed with the people that cursed. He hid in the shadows. He was afraid for his human life. He lost his faith. He was out of character. But what did Jesus say when he rose from the dead? Go get Peter. Tell him, I'm coming to meet him. I can imagine when Peter heard that. I know what happened. It says he jumped out of the boat when he saw Jesus on the shore and he let go of his cloak and some would say he was naked. Other would say he was in an ephod. I don't think Peter, with all due respect, gave a darn. He was running to Jesus. Naked. Here I am, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you came and got me. And what did Jesus say? Peter, the devil would have sifted you, but I prayed for you. You know what I say to you? The devil would have sifted you, but Jesus prayed for you. He ain't going to get you. He ain't going to get you. He ain't going to get you. You have been set free. Now, destiny needs to catch up with from. That's all. You're in the place of next and you're waiting for from and next to intersect. But there's one judge that's above all. There's one that everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth must listen to, and that's the voice of God. Nothing, nothing can condemn you if Jesus has already said you are free. So I want that to soak in. And it doesn't mean that we don't have to go through some stuff. It doesn't mean that when we're looking for understanding and grace that we might get something different from even people we know. <laughs> it's really easy when your enemies take a shot at you. It's a little harder when people that know you, you expect to put their arms around you or at least to shut their mouths. Take a shot. But I'll tell you one thing, he'll never forsake you nor leave you. And you've got this promise. You possess the gates of your enemy because he's given you the keys. And no one can take them away from you. Nobody. Nobody. So Lord, help us to pass the tests. Father, we come to you as people that are weak in our own experiences. We come to you, Father, who, who, people who are frail when we try to put our own hands to the moves that you give us. People who all the time, Father, make wrong decisions at wrong times in wrong places. That's who we are. Lord, you knew it. But, Father, we ask you, Lord, restore us, transform us, strengthen us, encourage us. Wash us with the cleansing of your word. Help us, Father, to be those who can hold on to that 
clinging mustard seed faith and believe that you're able to move a mountain in our lives. We speak to that mountain in the name of Jesus and we tell it to be gone right now. Jesus, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Raise up advocates, raise up champions, raise up people who speak with the grace and love that you have. And help us, Father, to go on from from to next. Guide us in it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.